These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal Television for Agricultural Business Decisions is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources in partnership with the Nebraska Rural Radio Association. Promotional support provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine and partial funding provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, hi everyone, I'm Bryce Suskit and thank you very much for joining us today on Market Journal. It has been feeling a bit more like spring across the Cornhusker State. I do believe though this is what we call Fool's Spring. I saw this graphic online this week. Check it out. It seems to be pretty accurate. It states there's actually 11 seasons in the year. Enjoy the spring-like feeling while it lasts because winter is going to be back before we know it. We have plenty to talk about on this week's episode. Central Valley Ag's Luke Beckman is on deck to discuss the latest happenings in the corn and soybean markets. We'll also hear from Extension Educator Steve Melvin when it comes to year-round water management. We'll get to both of those stories coming up here in a few moments, but first. Numerous events are coming your way soon that you won't want to miss. First up, you've heard us talk about Nebraska Extension's on-farm research network before. Now is your opportunity to see the fruits of that labor. Market Journal's Bill Dodd brings us this story. Thanks, Bryce. You know, Nebraska Extension has a long history in on-farm research that started back in 1989. And by 1998, this research group was working with around 20 farmers across four counties in south-central Nebraska to produce reliable, unbiased research. By 2012, on-farm research had expanded to a statewide effort. But now is your chance to sign up for this year's annual on-farm research results update meetings, which are a great opportunity for Nebraska producers to get a different perspective on how they manage their respective operations. Yeah, so farmers have been conducting research around the state uh, the past growing season, and so these meetings are a great opportunity to see a really wide variety of research results that have been conducted um, from uh, farmers in your area, in your region of the state, that have similar growing environments to you. And they're really a dynamic uh, meeting environment. So the farmers who've been conducting these research studies are going to be sharing about their results and sharing what they learned. And so um, that really just promotes a great opportunity for discussion, for learning together, uh, generating new ideas, uh, thinking creatively about how we um, approach our farm management going forward. While not every idea pans out during these test trial periods, there have been several success stories to come out of the on-farm research program. In fact, over the years, 59% of producers who have implemented on-farm research practices observed a 1 to 6 bushel per acre yield increase with an average value increase of 11 to $15 per acre. The program has really worked with a huge variety of research topics over the years, and so that's one uh, really fun aspect. You know, as farmers have different ideas, um, some of those, you know, we've seen producers um, optimize their soybean planting date, reducing their seeding rates in many cases, um, evaluating fungicide and insecticide uses, so really trying to optimize their their uh, soybean management. Um, on the corn side, we've seen a lot of focus and a really great work around nitrogen management, 
We have some great studies looking at sensor-based or imagery-based fertigation this year that have really been able to save producers a large amount of nitrogen with no yield impact. Uh, in some cases, up to 100 pounds of nitrogen with no yield impact. So very positive results, uh, both for the farmer's bottom line, uh, the economics in that situation, as well as the environment, because we're not putting all that extra nitrogen out there. If you'd like to see what's new in on-farm research this year, you have several opportunities to find out in person. Beginning February 20th at the Eastern Nebraska Research Extension and Education Center near Mead, Nebraska. February 21st at the Holiday Inn in Beatrice. Again on February 21st in Alliance, Nebraska at the Knight Museum in Sandhill Center. February 27th at the Holthus Convention Center in York. And finally, the Buffalo County Extension Office located in Kearney, Nebraska on February 28th. There is no cost to attend. However, pre-registration will be required for anyone who plans to attend. All meetings will begin at 9 a.m. local time, with check-in and refreshments beginning 30 minutes prior to each meeting. Be sure to check the Market Journal website for a link to more information and online registration. Next up, UAVs, or unmanned aerial aircraft, better known as drones, have become a common tool for many ag producers. That's why Nebraska Extension is offering a Part 107 drone test prep course through March 6th for those interested in becoming UAV pilots. There's a lot of material online, and a lot of companies will sell you um, teaching material or, you know, the videos and whatnot, um, but they cover a lot more than what's on the exam. And so what I try to do is focus more on, you know, the what I call the heavy hitter uh, issues or challenges of, of the test, um, such as maps, how to read maps, um, how to read the weather, um, the regulations, uh, for example. Um, I've had a quite a few students that decided to take this course because they've uh, been looking at videos on YouTube and, and they're just like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to study and whatnot. So um, basically my course, I really help the students focus in on, you know, these are the important things um, to study. There are currently two more courses available through the remainder of February, beginning Wednesday, February 21st, at the West Central Research Extension and Extension Center in North Platte. Your next opportunity will be on Wednesday, February 28th, at the Adams County Extension Office in Hastings. And finally, Wednesday, March 6th, at the Panhandle Research Extension and Education Center in Scotts Bluff. There is a registration fee of $250 for each course. That price includes all necessary study materials and lunch for students as well. If you'd like more information on these courses or future opportunities for this type of training, you're encouraged to reach out to Dirk Charlson directly, and that information is there for you at the bottom of your screen now. We'll also make sure to have that available on the Market Journal website. For now, Bryce, we'll send it back to you. All right, thank you for that story, Bill. Speaking of Nebraska Extension events, earlier this week, the Nebraska Extension hosted the Nebraska Corn Production Clinic in Aurora. Several topics were covered at this year's event, including year-round soil water management, Market Journal's Mike Straub is up next with this story. When it comes to irrigation and managing soil water, many producers will find a need for concern when the time comes to begin irrigating their crops. However, at this year's Nebraska Corn Production Clinic, Extension educator Steve Melvin wanted those in attendance to start approaching soil water management from a year-round perspective. Well, we were focusing on year-round soil water management. And I really think the biggest take home from that is the fact that on our irrigated land, because we keep them well watered all summer, they're pretty wet going into the fall. And on a typical year, we get more off-season precipitation we can hold in the soil. 
So we're gonna deep percolate water most years on our irrigated land from off-season precipitation. Yeah, I think in the springtime, it mostly is what we're focusing on following up my presentation is on nitrogen management, making sure that we keep our nitrogen in a form that sticks to the solid part of the soil, not that's in the solution, so it gets washed away. Well, I just think, you know, looking at a year-round water management is important and, and because we, we live in a year-round world and, and irrigation engineers like myself have probably kind of been guilty of just talking about in-season irrigation management, but we really need to focus on, on what's going on in the off-season as well because it's a, a valuable time of year. I mean, off-season moisture, if we can capture it and use it, you know, that's water we don't have to pump, so it's important to look at it year-round. While there isn't much to be done with water management throughout the winter months, Steve stresses the importance of keeping a vigilant eye on off-season precipitation as a means of nitrogen management before producers get into the full swing of planting season this spring to ensure they get the most out of their nitrogen application. Well, I think just be aware of it in the wintertime. I mean, you can put in soil water monitoring any time of the year and monitor year-round, but there's not a lot you can do about it in the wintertime. So I think it's just be a, uh, what we're trying to do is create an awareness, a reason of why you know, some of the things we say about nitrogen management are important. You know, a lot of people don't really think about that water deep percolating out there. Most people kind of calibrate themselves on their non-irrigated acres for, you know, wanting lots of off-season moisture to refill the profile uh, when, when we don't have irrigation because that's the reserve is down in the soil. And, uh, and they don't think people really think about on the irrigated land, it's already wet, so it's just deep percolating water. So I, mean, I, think, I think, you know, before planting and when you're thinking about fertilizer, it's just really just keep in mind, you're gonna have some water move through the profile. So how do you, you know, what steps are appropriate to take to keep the nitrogen from coming into that liquid portion of the soil and getting washed away or deep percolated towards the groundwater. Before producers begin planting, it is highly recommended to conduct a good amount of soil testing before the irrigation systems come online. This could potentially help improve a producer's bottom line by helping limit the amount of water pumped and deep percolation nitrogen loss that can occur in commonly irrigated areas. Well, looking at what's in the soil is important. And, you know, last year was an example of when you probably needed to look at it early because it was such a dry winter. But um, this winter, it looks like we're getting some pretty good moisture off season. And so we're going to have a, a, uh, enough moisture probably to carry us until our more typical irrigation season. But, you know, that, that would be a reason you would want to start looking at the soil water content for, from an irrigation standpoint. You know, do I need to water? because really typically May and June is our wettest months of the year. And so, and that's also the time when we've got a lot of our nitrogen out there already anyway. So, you know, sometimes in June, corns, you know, have some afternoons when it starts to roll up a little bit. Really encourage you guys to be monitoring soil moisture then and see what's there. But most of the time, those May, May June irrigations just aren't necessary. Last year being an exception, of course, but, but typically they're just not. And so a guy needs to be very, very careful not to deep percolate or you know, get it completely full of water and then you start getting the typical range that you do in May and June and, and then you deep perk from rain. But uh, you know, it's really important to think about those early irrigations because you can cause a lot of deep percolation with them. Thank you for that story, Mike. We appreciate it. That was the Corn Clinic. Mark your calendar for next week to attend the Nebraska Soybean Production Clinic. It will be taking place next Thursday. That's February 15th in Central City. Further information on that event and how to register can be found by visiting cropwatch.unl.edu. Up next, let's check in on the latest activities when it comes to the corn and soybean markets. Joining the show this week is Luke Beckman from Central Valley Ag. Luke, thank you very much for joining us. We sure appreciate it. Great to be back, Bryce. 
Well, as we uh, jump in here on the corn market, it seems like since about December, we've been playing a game of limbo in the futures market, seeing how low things can go. Why such a bearish sentiment for corn, Luke? Well, we're in that time of year, Bryce, where there's just not a lot of bullish influence that can impact the market. If you think about it, the U.S. crop size has been determined as of January 12th. And, you know, that leaves us really with production risk in South America. And for the most part, things have been looking uh, pretty good there, especially when you consider where we were a year ago uh, with the tough crop that we had in Argentina specifically. Uh, so you're just in that time of, time of year where we're kind of in between crops, in between the South American crop, in between the U.S. crop. And uh, it's not a strong period seasonally in most years uh, as we look back, you know, through history. So not a lot here. I don't want to get super concerned for that reason. Um, our seasonal strength should be in front of us. But uh, yeah, kind of a grind here as we make some new lows in March corn this week. You bring up South America weather. There's always a lot of information coming out there, sometimes conflicting information. So I'll just ask you, over the past couple of weeks, what's the most important information that uh, our Nebraska audience should be aware of, specifically on the corn front? Well, I think you need to look at the big picture with South America. And year over year, there's a big change in what's going on in Argentina. And we typically talk a lot about Brazil when we talk about the South American crops, and rightfully so. But when you look at Argentine production, we've got production up almost 62% year over year in Argentina. And I think that's important because the Argentine crop is gonna to come to market quicker than the Brazilian one as it relates to corn. Uh, Brazil's main uh, corn crop is their second corn crop. They're planting that right now as they harvest soybeans. And that corn's not available to the world market until we get into late US summer. And so right now it's really more about Argentina and there's going to be some implications as that corn starts to come to the world market. Keep in mind, 62% larger crop year over year. That has a lot to do with us being in an El Nino weather phase compared to La Nina a year ago, which really negatively impacts the Argentine crop. So we've got more Argentine uh, corn that's going to hit the world market starting in April. And that's going to have some impacts on U.S. export inspections going forward. And for our Nebraska producers and really producers in the Western Corn Belt, a lot of your export program uh, for your northern bushels, your North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota grain moving off the West Coast is going to find some competition here in another 60 days. And so that could have some basis implications for the Western Corn Belt as those Dakota bushels really uh, look to find a different home if we don't have a robust export program going off the West Coast. Uh, combine that with a lot of on-farm grain. Uh, we look back at the December stocks report, 60 uh, plus percent of the corn that was on uh, commercial storage and in on-farm space, that total pool, 62% of that uh, was on-farm. And so that's the highest number we've seen since 2011, which means the U.S. farmer is holding uh, a larger share of this year's corn crop, and a lot of that's unpriced. And so if you combine a, an export program that wants to slow down as we get into the spring, and you combine that with a lot of unpriced grain, uh, there's a lot of grain that's going to have to find a home even if we do find rallies. And so just from a cash market standpoint, uh, if you don't have a robust export program pulling grain away, uh, basis will uh, tend to soften, uh, especially if we find price rallies and producers want to be sellers. Of course, on the corn front, Luke, appreciate your thoughts there. How's the story differ when it comes to soybeans? I suppose we start in South America to begin the conversation. Yeah, you know, South America is Argentina, Brazil. You know, you're looking at those two with the bean crop. Uh, we'll have a WASD report out uh, tomorrow as of when we're recording this, and that'll update us on the size of those crops, at least what the USDA is thinking. Uh, Brazil probably moving a little bit lower in terms of their estimates. But again, the story is Argentina. Uh, that crop is double 
uh, what it was last year. They had a terrible soybean crop the year ago. Uh, they're back. They're looking to have a record bean crop this year. And combined with Brazil, Uruguay, Paraguay, uh, total South American production looks to be a record this year. And so a little bit of a similar story in the beans. When you look at the domestic carryout in the United States, you would think that beans should be supported. But on the global front, uh, again, we have adequate supplies of soybeans. And so, again, we're trying to get into that spring seasonal time period for the beans. Really, we need to get a look at U.S. acres, uh, which we'll find with the March Planning Intentions Report. Before we get to that point, we've got the February Outlook Forum, which is the USDA's early assessment of what they think the new crop balance sheets will look like. Uh, so the yields that they're going to use on that next week will be the yields they use in their May WASDE report. That's the first report that we see that estimates new crop production. So there are some implications next week as we look at the February Outlook Forum. And uh, overall, trendline crops with the type of acres we're looking at look to build uh, the U.S. domestic carryouts in 24-25. Good look ahead to 24-25, expecting some crush facility, at least one of them to be online here in the next year. As we look at the pace of exports for soybeans, how important do you think crush is going to be moving forward for our, our Nebraska soybean producers, Luke? It'll be paramount. You know, we're seeing uh, our share of global exports in beans slip a little bit. Uh, South America, particularly Brazil, is expanding soybean production area every year at a rate of about 4%. And when you combine that with uh, Chinese soybean imports that have totally plateaued, uh, it's pretty easy to see what's happening uh, with the share of uh, exports that the U.S. has um, access to. So our share in that business is going down. We really need to soak up, uh, transition some demand from export to crush. Uh, so that's coming at a good time uh, and really good for the Nebraska producer as we add you know, a, cr a crush plant this fall in 2024 and looking to have another one online in the fall of 2025. So from a basis standpoint, that's going to be positive. What it does to overall flat price uh, is a drop in the bucket compared to the big picture of what happens with the futures price uh, as it relates to beans. Good stuff there with Luke. Coming up next week, we'll be joined by Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. As always, we appreciate your thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions here on Market Journal. Be sure to email your commodity questions in by Wednesday morning of next week to be included in the broadcast. It's now time to check in on weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist and Market Journal Chief Meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, it was a fairly pleasant week considering it is early February. Are these spring-like temperatures going to stick around for a bit longer? Thanks, Bryce. I think it's going to feel a little bit less like spring this next week, though not quite fully like winter. Speaking of winter, though, we are going to have some winter precipitation to deal with in parts of Panhandle on Saturday. Again, not looking at huge snowfall amounts, but Sydney, you might get a couple inches of snow. Uh, but for the most part, it looked like a dry week across the state. I can't rule out a spray stray shower or snow shower later in the week with a cold frontal passage. But again, it looks like a relatively dry week coming up, so travel across the state should be pretty good to go. Uh, we are going to be a little bit cooler than we've been in recent weeks. Uh, still probably above average, particularly for eastern Nebraska. So it's probably going to feel a bit more like early March. Uh, York East, uh, central western Nebraska temperature are expected to be a little bit closer to seasonal norms. Uh, maybe even slightly below average across northwestern Nebraska. The CPC's 8 to 14 day outlook is showing that we are going to start seeing some colder air move into the northern part of the U.S. So the northern Rockies, northern plains. There is a chance that some of that will occasionally be spilling down into the central Great Plains and the western Corn Belt. Uh, but right now, I'm not seeing any strong signal that that's going to do that for any prolonged period of time. So I do anticipate the second half of February being colder than the first half of the month, uh, but not significantly cold. Certainly not what we saw in mid-January, and I think we can all celebrate that. Uh, CPC is showing better chances of precipitation we head toward the second uh, half of the month. Uh, so maybe the week after next, we will get some precipitation. 
Again, this isn't a really strong signal, but maybe this next week or the week after this next one will be a little bit wetter than this coming week will be. Uh, speaking of moisture, we did get a lot of moisture last Saturday in parts of south central and southwestern Nebraska. A good portion of the state picked up over half an inch. And down here from Holderstown, the Kansas border, we had over an inch and a half in some cases. Uh, and most of that, uh, maybe not all of it, but a lot of that I think went in the ground just given the, the ground temperatures were warm enough to hold that moisture. Uh, and we did see that was enough rain to actually give us a little bit of drought relief. So we now had some improvement across uh, Franklin, Webster, and Kearney, and Adams counties uh, southwest of Hastings, and a little bit of improvement in parts of southwestern Nebraska, uh, where we have uh, not had a whole lot of precipitation up until this last weekend. Uh, at least in recent months, that was good news. Soil moisture, this again, this continues to improve with soil the snow melting uh, going into the soil. We've seen conditions improve in eastern Nebraska. Uh, with recent rains, we've seen soil moisture conditions improve across uh, central Nebraska. And we did see improvements across southwestern Nebraska. Again, this is still a little bit low for this time of year, but this is definitely an improvement what we've seen in recent weeks. Uh, still a bit dry here in the southern part of the Pan Hill. Hopefully we can get some snow this weekend and start maybe getting a little bit more moisture into the ground. Soil temperatures right now generally uh, bare soil mid-30s to low to mid-40s across most of the state. Again, nowhere is that freezing at this point. Uh, and there is very, very little snow cover anywhere in the U.S. right now, most, mostly confined to the Rockies and New England. And that's because one of the reasons we've had a very, very mild start to February, actually a record warm start to February across uh, most of the north central U.S. I uh, just want to highlight a couple events coming up. We have on-farm research network meetings in uh, Mead, Beatrice, Alliance, York, and Kearney. Visit onfarmresearch.unl for more details. And a soybean production clinic uh, next Thursday in Central City. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. Okay, thanks for the update, Eric. Appreciate it. What if I told you a simple management strategy could increase the number of calves born during the day? It's true, and for those calving soon, you won't want to miss this next interview. So what's the strategy you might be asking? It's feeding cows at dusk. A University of Nebraska Lincoln cow-calf specialist joined us earlier in the studio to shed a light on this opportunity. Joining us today to talk about using evening feeding to increase daytime calving is Casey McCarthy, a UNL cow-calf specialist. Casey, thank you very much for the time. We sure appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, we'll talk about the study behind this. How does this work and what's the research into it? Yes, so uh, this idea, the Kahnanoff feeding method, uh, really started with a rancher out in Manitoba and uh, he started feeding his cows in the evening time and started noticing changes in the time for when his cows started calving. And so there's been several studies um, around Nebraska that have looked at this concept. Uh, Iowa has a great study with uh, 1,331 cows, um, 15 different producers were really trying to get those numbers there. And they started feeding uh, in the evening, so around 4 to 6 p.m. or so, um, and noticed that almost 85% of those cows in that study um, started calving and shifting calving towards 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So really, really trying to consolidate that time and labor component um, with just a little shift in feeding time right before calving. There's some obvious benefits to that. No one likes waking up in the middle of the night to uh, check on calves. Talk about the advantages of kind of tightening that calving window. Yeah, so, you know, as we think about maybe some options, you know, during the calving time, sleep is one of them, right? <laughs> and uh, so when we start to think of that evening shift for feeding, now we're starting to shift that rumination time in those cows. And so I would still encourage folks to go out and do a couple midnight checks um, with those cows because there are, you know, studies where we do see a, 
a couple cows here and there um, that don't read the book and want to start calving a little later in, into the night. Um, but it, it also helps that management standpoint of I can get some things done during the day um, and, and being able to, to check those cows where you've got light, you've got an opportunity. If you have issues, um, you can call the vet or somebody and it's not an emergency midnight call. Is this something where you want to start to transition your cattle a little bit ahead of time before the calving window hits? Yes, absolutely. So the theory here is starting at least two to three weeks prior to calving. If you can start later than that, so a month or, or two before, um, that really starts to shift that rumination pattern in, in those females um, and then ultimately can help um, start to shift that, that kind of physiological effect that we also see within those cows. Let's talk about what we're feeding cattle. Any sort of dietary things that have been studied when it comes to uh, the calving window? Yes, so as we move into calving, you know, making sure we're meeting those cows requirements. So we're gonna start to ramp up um, especially with lactation. And so making sure that those cows are in good body condition, you know, we, we like to target that five or six on that nine point scale, um, especially with our heifers, um, you know, getting a little more closer to that six or maybe even seven, just to make sure that as we move into that lactation demand and calving, that's a lot of stress going, going into that process. And so that recovery time uh, before that breeding season is, is really ideal to make sure we're meeting those requirements. So energy and protein, those start to increase anyway when we start to move into cold weather and winter time, like we're kind of facing now. Um, and so as we move into calving, it's always uh, really strong and encourage folks to, to be looking at their feed resources, knowing what they're providing um, and making sure we're meeting those requirements. You shared to me this concept of evening feeding has uh, gained a little momentum. People have uh, you know, realized there's some science behind this, and as you mentioned, it actually works when you study this. What do you hear from producers as they try this? What's some of the feedback you've heard? Yeah, so um, I love talking about this in class, and I have students who are like, oh, I didn't know it had a name. We do this you know, at home, and um, a lot of really positive feedback. They see that shift, right? Um, from a management standpoint, if you've got um, extra help or labor, right, that they can go out, um, go provide that mixed ration, or maybe they're feeding just hay, right, in the evening, um, but we're providing that, that feed in the evening, um, you know, anywhere from about four to six, five to seven, you know, after work, if we're working off, um, off ranch or farm. Um, but then that helps really shift that time uh, for folks to be able to get other chores and things done, um, and then be able to go check on those cows and, and shift that calving time. I assume if people want to learn more online, you've got some resources published. Yes, absolutely. So beef.unl.edu is a great resource. We have a lot of different calving management resources right now and videos that are getting pushed out as we think about calving season that's approaching, um, thinking about nutrition requirements, um, chatting with your local extension educator or specialist. Um, we're here to help make sure that we're, we're on target for meeting those cows requirements and any uh, additional resources that they need. Um, during calving. My thanks again to Casey for joining us here on the show this week. What an opportunity. Calving time, of course, labor intensive and quite stressful. So having more cows calve during the daylight hours can certainly reduce the stress for the entire calving crew. That is going to do it for this week's broadcast. If you did happen to miss this story, follow along with the Market Journal crew on YouTube as well as our social media accounts to join in on the conversation. We hope to see you back here next time. But until then, I'm Bryce Tuskin, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. 
You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.